0: Howdy, welcome to another week of Canon Calls. I'm your host, Jake McAtee. And this week, I had the pleasure of interviewing Jessica Brody, who wrote the book, Save the Cat, Writes a Novel, the last book on novel writing you'll ever read. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. You can find it anywhere you find books. I assume the easiest place would be Amazon. Additionally, as we talked, one book that came to mind that I wanted to recommend from our shelf was Douglas Wilson's Wordsmithy. It's a book for writers of every sort, whether experienced veterans, still just hoping, or somewhere in between. This book exhorts writers to explore the world, to read incessantly, to love mechanical helps, to be fine with being lousy for a little while, to learn languages, and to keep a commonplace book. You can find that book at canonpress.com. Now, without further ado, meet jessica brody now welcoming on special guest jessica brody jessica has authored over 20 novels she writes for disney franchises she's been translated in over 25 countries and today she's on to talk about her book save the cat writes a novel jessica thanks so much for giving us your time
1: Thank you, Jake. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Absolutely, you sound super busy. That that CV, I did my best to like consolidate, but it's it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty heavy CV.
1: Uh, yeah, thanks. I, I, I do keep busy. I um I find when I'm not busy, things get a little crazy in my head.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So first things first, I got your book uh, recently, but I wanted to let you know that. Uh, so I think in I was in uh, a master's program in like 2016. And I I was introduced to Blake Snyder's book, Save the Cat. And I spent a ton of time on the website. And so I had found your articles helpful way back then. So when I saw that you had a book, I was eager to have you on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Save the Cat as well, obviously. (laughs) Um, So I'm excited to be here to talk about it.
0: Awesome. So. To give context to listeners that that don't know, can you introduce us? Could we start with Blake Snyder's book? Could you tell us sure. about how you sort of got introduced to to that work?
1: Yeah, no problem. My journey starts actually in around 2005, and I was trying to sell my first novel and failing miserably. I was sort of a cliche, um, struggling <laughs> writer with you know uh, an apartment littered with rejection letters from agents and publishers, and um, this screenwriting friend of mine actually introduced me to this book called Save the Cat, the last book on screenwriting you'll ever need. And I've immediately balked at it because I'm like, well, I'm not a screenwriter. I'm a novelist and we're totally different. And he was like, are you? Because we all, we all have to tell stories and we all have to tell good stories. And so he convinced me to get the book and I read it. And it was basically... In my mind, it was like finding the secret to the universe. I was like, (laughs) oh my gosh, how did I not know that this existed? Because what Blake Snyder, the, the author of the book did, which clicked so well with me, was he broke down story into like a 15 part blueprint. And he basically said, look, this is what all stories are made out of. He didn't invent this. He just noticed it. And he codified it to make it easy for everyone else to understand. He said, look, all stories have these same 15 things. In them, so naturally, if you tell a story with these same fifteen things, your story is going to work. So that fifteen beat uh, template is what's called the beat sheet, uh, the Save the Cat beat sheet. So I started using the Save the Cat beat sheet way back when, and I used it to revise the novel I was trying to sell at the time. I ended up then getting an agent for that novel, selling the novel like ten days after I signed with the agent, you know, to a major publisher. And then I've been using that same template or that blueprint to write books ever since. And as you said, I've. I've sold over 20 novels to major publishers. So I like to think that it works.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I, so I, I definitely had that same feeling of when I was reading through it, it was really elucidating. It, it totally made sense. And it wasn't even that it showed me like a whole new world. It was sort of just like validation of like, yep, I see it. I also see that. That's, I had that kind of uh, reaction. I'm curious about maybe what you would say in terms of um, maybe the lay of the land, like the minute that that book hit, Is it that you know there was sort of just this structure drought in the world, and all of a sudden he was you know a sort of waterfall of of refreshing? Do you do you have thoughts on that? Why is this book so successful?
1: Yeah, I do have thoughts on it because I've thought about it a lot since I wrote "Save the Cat Writes a Novel," and it's and it's done really well, and people are responding just as well to I hope to this book as the screenwriting book, which just makes me so happy. But it also just sort of validates that this this system or this strategy really does work for screenwriters and novelists and any, anybody trying to tell a story. And so I have thought, like, why is it, why do people react to this method more so than others? Yes. And of course, I don't know a lot of other methods, so I can't really compare the methods. But um, what really struck me is just how he breaks it down. And, you know, the majority of the books or classes that I had taken before this they explain the three act structure, which is kind of the standard, you know, of story structure. And, and that made sense to me, but that's three pieces. And it's, you know, an act two is like 50% of the, of your story. So it doesn't really give you a lot of guidance. And so what (laughs) I loved about the save the cat method is it breaks it down into smaller pieces. So I like to look at it like a novel. I like to look at it as, as taking a cross country road trip. And, you know, from going from LA to New York is a really daunting experience idea, you know, and if you were just to go, okay, I'm just going to get in the car. I'm just going to drive to New York. And I don't know, I'll figure it out along the way. Like that's a lot of places that can go wrong. You can, without a map, you know, so totally. having these sort of planned stops along the way, like, okay, today I'm just going to drive from LA to you know Reno. And today I'm going to drive from Reno to Salt Lake city or whatever. And eventually I will get to New York. So just breaking it down into those smaller pieces, 15 to be exact, I think just makes the structure process feel more attainable and achievable for most writers.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so one thing you mentioned uh, in terms, so it, that book is a screenwriting book. Since it's published date, I assume novel writers have been making the best use of it, but you decided to do that community, their honor, and and write write the book for them. You wrote uh, Save the Cat Writes a Novel. Can you talk about sort of the the process of translation How did you think through that?
1: Yeah, and at first, you know, I thought what I was doing wasn't all that unique. I thought, oh well, I'm taking the screenwriting guide and I'm applying it to novels, and you know, everybody can do that. And sure, everybody can. But what I found was that the way I was explaining it. So I started to, I started to teach the method specifically to novelists before I wrote the book, and I did that through the Save the Cat Company. So Blake Snyder unfortunately passed away in 2009, and he's got a great team of people that. You know, keep the legacy alive and keep the brand alive. And um, they hired me once they saw that I was using this method to write and sell novels, um, they hired me to teach the method to novelists. So what I found when I got into the classroom with students was that it was not necessarily obvious how to take the screenwriting method and apply it to novelists. Okay. Um, and I was able to explain it in a way, having written so many novels at that point, and read so many novels I was able to just say, well you know it's like in this book when if you've read this book you it's like what happens here you know at this point in the story when this character does this and I think just putting it in terms of novels and being able to use novels as an example I think really helps people um, sort of just translate it. So you know I think there's there's that element there's just the way that I, I approached it I think people people respond to that but then just being able to take a bunch of novels and which is what I did when I wrote the book take, you know, all, I think I, I analyze like 50 different books in this, in the course of this, this one, 50 different novels over the course of this book right in some way and being able to say, yeah, you know, like in, um, great grapes of wrath when this happens and, you know, in ready player one, when this happens and, you know, in girl on the train, when this happens. And, and so just applying it to all of these books that we all love and know, um, I think just, it, it just kind of cements it in people's mind a little bit firmer than looking at a movie.
0: Absolutely. So I as I read, and I had this feeling in Snyder's as well, but you know, the saying that you, you enroll in math, you get math problems exclusively. And I thought about, as you are writing this book for a community of artists, and that particular book is on structure, I've laughed through conversations, uh, not only with my education, but even around today, around the people that I know want to write, and they're working through their manuscripts. Often, I feel like, Getting introducing structure to an artist is sort of like cat to water. Um, has that been your experience as well,
1: or, or? It, it, it depends on the writer? It, um, it, that's a really funny analogy too. Yeah, it depends on the writers. Some writers are very averse to structure at first. You know, in the novel world, we call it um, pantsers and plotters. And plotters are the kinds of writers who like to plot out their novel in advance. They like to you know create the outline and try to stick to it and it's sort of, you know, going back to the road trip analogy, it's the people who map out the entire journey and where they're gonna stop and where they're gonna eat and how long they're gonna stay in, you know, for the whole thing. And then there's the pantsers who come, it comes from the, uh, the phrase right by the seat of their pants. And um okay. these are people who just sort of like, you know, they get an idea and they just go. Um and maybe they have a little bit of structure already in mind or maybe they have a character in mind or you know, they have different levels of starting points, but for the most part they prefer not to outline in advance and um just kind of see where the story takes them. And so when you introduce this concept to pantsers, there is often um and I'm generalizing here obviously, but there's often a little bit of resistance. Um like, "Well, I don't do that. I don't outline in advance." And when you introduce it to plotters, they're usually like, oh, great. Yeah, I kind of, I need this because I like to, you know, figure it out. But what I tell writers is structure has to get added in somewhere. So it doesn't matter if you do it first, if you do it in the middle, if you do it at the end, if you do it after five drafts, eventually this thing has to be structured uh, effectively. And so, you know, the save the cat method in general is just a tool to help you structure it no matter when you do that part. So a lot of people will use it in the revision, you know, they'll write a first draft that they just sort of pants their way through, as we say, and they'll just sort of have a whole bunch of scenes and now they don't know what to do with them. And then they'll take the structure method and go, oh, okay, I see, I actually did write a catalyst. It's just way too late. That's one of the beats, Um, you know, or I actually do have this part that should be in the middle, but I put it at like 75%. So, you know, people approach structure in different ways, but in the end, Everyone learns the either the hard way or the easy way. They learn that you have to have structure. And I learned it after, you know, 50 rejection <laughs> letters. Uh,
0: okay. And then on that point too, I had a question. You, so I, I was one of the, I have plenty of unfinished manuscripts. So that's where I'm at in, in the world of writing. And what I found is I would love to just like do an opening scene and like get it all out. And it was like, okay, this could be an awesome thing, but I actually don't know what's happening uh, like next or like the plot. Similar to how you're describing that, and with with Snyder's book, one thing that I thought was fascinating was the uh, was the logline, and and I remember him sort of encouraging you like have an idea of this logline. Can you tell us about what the logline is?
1: Yeah, so uh, logline is a very screenwriter thing that I again adapted for novelists. Essentially, a logline is a one sentence pitch of your book. So, and it's supposed to be written in a way that makes people want to read well, a one sentence pitch of your story. And it's written in a way that makes people want to read it. And it's usually, in, I think in the screenwriting world, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think it's usually used kind of in the pitch process. Um, right. It might be, you know, taken and put it on, put on websites for film goers, you know, so they can kind of get a quick glimpse of what this is going to be about. For uh novelists, you know, the reason I tell people to write log lines is not, It is, yes, it does help when you're pitching, you know, if you have to pitch somebody your your book really quickly, but that's not really the primary purpose of log lines. I think the primary purpose of log lines is to figure out if you know what your story is about. And what a log line does is it forces you to simplify it down to its most basic form. You know, if you can explain this book to me in one sentence and have me go, wow, I want to read that, then you know what your story is about. And that's really hard to do. It sounds easy. It's not easy. And um, I think it's Einstein who said, I'll paraphrase Einstein, but sorry, Einstein. Um, but I think it's Einstein who said something like, I, I know I understand something when I can describe it in one sentence or when I can distill it down to its simplest form. And that's when you really know that you've got it. So when I tell people, you know, okay, now pitch it to me in one sentence and like 10 minutes later, I don't know what the story is. Um, that's when I know that the, that person hasn't figured out the story yet. So um, the log line is sort of like a test of, you know, do I know what this story is about? Do I know what is compelling about it? Do I know what is resonating about it? Because all of that can go into a one sentence pitch, believe it or not. So one thing that I did with the book that's different than what Snyder did was he put the log line up front. And he yes. said, you should figure out your log line first.
0: That's what and I want to I ask. Found, Yours is at the end.
1: Yeah, I found that when I was teaching, when I was teaching this method, I, I would follow the Save the Cat book and I would do, I would sort of go in the order that he presented it. And I would just get these blank stares of some of writers going, how am I supposed to tell you what it's about? I haven't written it yet. Um, I have no idea. So I, in my classes, I did, I basically tried a new thing and I said, all right, let's do the beach. Let's work on the beats first. Let's break down the 15 beats of your story. And then the last thing that we did before it was a weekend workshop, the last thing we would do before people left and say, okay, now try to write a log line. And I found people immediately understood that then. So I put it at the end because I feel like it's really hard to sort of drill down your story into one sentence when all you have is a a seed of an idea. So I kind of, in my book, I sort of take people through the same process I, I used for my weekend workshops, which is come in with an idea, flesh out the character and what they want and need first, then take them through this beat sheet that tracks their, you know, epic transformation as characters. And then by the end, you'll have sort of a, a better idea of what you want this story to really be about. And you can tell it to me in shorter and shorter forms, like a logline, like a, a synopsis. And, and what that allowed me to do, which was, which was great, is use a logline template and say, okay, a logline is basically just these four beats put into one sentence. Like if you can drill down these beats into little parts of a sentence, then you'll have a full log line, but you can't really do that until you know what those beats are. So that's why I put it at the end.
0: That's super helpful. So it's not necessarily, this is not a, a translation for writers, like, you know, writer writers of novels put that at the end where screenwriters might have it at the front. You're just saying it might actually help practically for you to think that 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 could happen more easily at the end rather than at the front where they may never start if they can't get that like clarity on the front end.
1: Yeah. I just found it was easier for myself and for other writers to figure it out once they already had gone through the process of writing a beat sheet or, or at least starting a beat sheet.
0: Awesome. So you've kind of entered the the world of like writing help books, I suppose. Um, I don't know. Was that always an intention of yours? Were you excited to join that, 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 that community?
1: I was terrified. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've never, I've never written a, a, a help book or a craft book they call it. Um, I was so terrified and I you know I've spent my whole career writing novels and I, I you know and I I was teaching a little bit because I was teaching this method but the idea of putting it out there in print was so horrifying because I just felt like everyone was going to see that I was a fraud they were going to like what does she know <laughs> like she doesn't she can't teach me anything and the thing that I was really really afraid of was actually my analyses of the books of the novels that I break down and I think that I think that stems from like like AP English in 12th grade. I had this this horrible teacher who would just tell me how poorly I analyzed these classics and she'd be like that's not what Jane Austen meant when she wrote Pride and Prejudice, Jessica. And I could never quite understand how she knew so certainly what Jane Austen meant if she didn't know Jane Austen. But um you know, so I think I just had this kind of fear that people were going to do the same thing and go that's not what Stephen King had in mind. And um you know, so far, no one's done that (laughs) to my face anyway. But I think, you know, what I really try to do with this book, and when I break down these, these stories is not say like, oh, well, this is exactly what Stephen King set out to do. It's more like, look, if you analyze Stephen King using this method, you'll see that this method is present in his novels, whether he planned that or not, which also just goes to validate that this is not a method that, will equate with a, will equate to an entirely different type of story that everybody else is writing. It's just that it is already existing in stories that work, um, whether the author intended that to happen or not. So I think it sort of just goes to prove the point that this is a universal uh, blueprint.
0: Right. It seems like maybe we all just stopped reading Aristotle or something to that effect. Uh, Yeah. And and it kind of goes to that, you know, I wonder, you know, I I joked earlier about uh, with the bringing sort of like artists in general to sort of the structure being like a cat to water. Um, And I wonder if there's a, because one thing in terms of the, you writing this craft book and the nature of it is a highly structured sort of book. um, And you're very clear in the introduction, it's not going to like, it's not a formula. It's not anything of that nature. But I wonder if, in general, and I don't know if you know this, like, did structure books like way fall off? Like, did it go into like, did Panthers rule the day for for a certain amount of time? That that you think now, you this book and and Snyder's are really really popular.
1: I don't know the answer to that actually. Um, you know, I've I've been using this my whole career. Um, I didn't learn that there were these things called Panthers until <laughs> I I started teaching. Um, so so not sure. for like a, for years ago. Now I really do understand more about uh, about writers different processes and how writer different writers approach the process which I I think is fascinating. I love I love hearing writers talk about their processes because they're always so different. But yeah, I'm not sure, uh, but I do think that from the responses that I've gotten to this book and the and the wonderful outpouring of emails and tweets um and Instagram posts that I see which are just so so awesome and rewarding is that people, there's a very strong consensus of, I wish I had found this book earlier. Um, and not just my book, but the method in general, I think. And I think that's, you know, speaking to what we were saying before is it just, it it does really click with people in a way that other structure books might not, or, or they might, depends on who you are. Um, and so I think there is sort of a, for me, it it, it was the same, like, Oh, I, if I had found this earlier, I would have just fast-tracked this whole process. Right. So I I I think that I hope pancers are finding it useful as well even if they did or did not pick up a structure book before this.
0: You you might have said this before, but were you a panzer before? Were you someone who just sort of like flew through a book?
1: I had to have been. I didn't even know like I don't think I even the word structure was in my vocabulary. I sure. was sort of in this mindset of like, oh, novelists just write and write and write. And we just kind of, whatever inspires us, we put on the page. And then by the end, there's a story and which right. is you know such a naive way of thinking about it. So uh, even though I didn't have a word for it, I I probably was a pantser and I had to find structure and then go back and put it into the story that I was trying to tell.
0: Now you have all those books, you do a ton of writing, but I, I've seen just off your website and and uh, like I said, being introduced to, you, to your work on the Save the Cat website, you still do a ton of teaching. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I do. I actually started an online writing school called the Writing Mastery Academy. And you can find it on my website, jessicabrody.com. I think you can also go to writingmastery.com as well. It's in me now. I, I love it. It's you know, it sort of started out as like a side hustle. And now I would say that I probably split my time equally between 50-50, between writing my own novels and teaching others to write. It's just something I really enjoy. The Writing Mastery Academy... I found the best model to do was to put out on demand courses. So they're they're all already up there. You can take them at your own pace. You can take them whenever you want, however many times you want, because the Academy is a subscription model. So okay. um, you just, you, you get access to everything with one, um, one, uh, one subscription price. And I found this was easier because having kind of lining everyone up to start at the same time is always challenging. Right people learn at different rates, people learn at different speeds. And so this just allows people the flexibility to take the course however they want or at any time or however many times they want.
0: I'm curious with, with first-time uh, students of yours, is there a universal uh, faux pas? Is there something that, that you find all you know early, more naive writers, this is a huge thing they're doing, this is a huge thing they're missing?
1: Um, yeah, I've done blog, I think, I feel like I've done blog posts and YouTube videos about this. Um, there's probably a lot of different, different ones. As you were speaking, the thing that comes to mind is a lot of writers do something or guilty of something called info dumping. It happens a lot at the beginning of books, but it can happen anywhere. But when you just sort of start the book and you just kind of like dump a bunch of information on the reader, uh, without sort of planning on what's the most engaging way for the reader to experience this information. Um, so the, the real kind of cliche, saying is show, don't tell. And telling is a form of info dumping. It's just like, here's all the things that I want you to know. Um, When there's, you know, really creative ways that you can reveal that information strategically and mysteriously and engagingly. And so I think that's one thing that a lot of new writers struggle with. And I think a lot of just writers in general, when you're writing a first draft, you're just like, oh my gosh, I have all these thoughts in my head. I have to get them down on the page so I don't forget them which is what I tell people to do is write it all first. Don't worry about it if it's good or not. And then once you have all your ideas down, then you can come back and sort of revise it. But that, yeah, that's something that comes to mind.
0: I'm curious what you would think about this. I gifted uh, Snyder's book a couple of years ago um, to someone who doesn't write, just to like an Mm -hmm. avid reader. Um, Mm -hmm. And halfway through your book, it seems like something I could do with yours as well do you have thoughts on that? Do you think your book could help? Uh, like, is your book for an avid reader, or could it be used for an avid reader as well as someone who writes?
1: That's really interesting. I I hadn't thought about that. I would suppose that if you really like the mechanics of story, you know, there. I think there are different kinds of readers, and there's readers who just sort of want to be swept away, and just like I don't want to think about anything. I just want to like escapism. Just want to enjoy this world and. I don't want to think about how it's made, you know, the, I don't want to look behind the curtain. I just sure. want to do it. And then there's readers who love that behind the scenes stuff. Like I have readers who I will show them deleted scenes. I will give, I will gift them all sorts of like behind the scenes looks into my process. I will reveal, I'll release like brainstorm, recorded brainstorming sessions I've had with my co-writer. And I think a lot of writers like to see that stuff, or sorry, readers. I like to see that stuff and know how this how the sausage is made. And so I think those types of readers might really appreciate the inside look of this is what goes into writing a story that works.
0: Totally. I'm curious if um, so. There's a there was a feeling that I had when I was going through the beat sheet originally, and I was like, "Wow, okay, I can finally like see." You know, it was a uh, it was almost like putting contacts in to. Mm-hmm. Um, you describe somebody who's sort of like I, I'm not very invested in like. I just kind of want to be swept away. So I would say for a lot of my life, I was like that. And then suddenly I got interested. And so I was like passionate about stories, but I couldn't see them. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and these, the beach sheet and those principles really illuminated a lot of things. And just that gift of sight was like really edifying to me to you for another way of saying it.
1: Do you find though, that it's harder to read for pleasure now? <laughs> That's what I find. You know.
0: Is it do you, so? Do you tell me about that? I'm curious. Uh, like, are do you find yourself now like judging on a beat? You know, like, oh, that was kind of mishandled. Is that what you mean?
1: It's less of judging, and it's more. I love sort of figuring out, or at least in my mind, trying to think of what the author was trying to do. You know, I love trying to kind of sure. find like what the author intended you know, so I'll find like, I know how stories fit together. Now I've written so many of them and I've analyzed so many of them. Like I can see stitching. I can see the the intention of things. And maybe I'm wrong, but I, I am just sort of now trained to see that. So like, I'll read a book and I'll notice something put in. I'll be like, I bet that's setting up something later. Like I can see those things now. So
0: has it, do you you feel like that's ridded of pleasure?
1: Not necessarily. It's a different kind of pleasure, but yeah. it's definitely like when I want to read simply for fun, like if I'm on vacation and I just want to sit on the beach and read a book and not think about it, I have to kind of really force myself, like I'll feel myself going, oh, I wonder what that's, you know, what the intention of that line was. And I'll go, no, no, just, just read it. <laughs> <laughs> just read it for for pleasure. So it is sort of hard to shut that part down, but um. But it's a different kind of pleasure, I guess. I think so. And,
0: and, you know, especially if, you know, I will say it has done a little bit of like quality maintenance and not that I would, uh, there's plenty of books that I read um, that are not like these are the classics and we have to be very solemn and and we have to lower our brows about them. Um, But I would say it has sort of eradicated a certain level. It's done a little bit of quality control maybe. But I, I would say the, so far, in my experience, it's been, it's added like an extra dose and you were saying it's a different kind of pleasure, just like an extra dose of pleasure to see like what this author is pulling off mm-hmm. and, and the way that they're doing that. The professor that introduced us to the, to the beach, sheet talks about it in a way of like, this is somebody who's describing the ingredients here of, of storytelling and, and essentially here's a cookbook. And I thought it was helpful just in terms of there's a lot you could find, uh, you know, if you typed in save the cat to YouTube our listeners could find things like why save the cat's bad or why it's great. And it helped me like the metaphor of cooking helped just because, you know, there are like Stephen King is a mature chef in storytelling. (laughs) And like, he could, he could decide I'm going to subvert this particular ingredient here, but it's Mm -hmm. because he like knows what he's doing. uh, I suppose. And like, he could walk into a pantry with no plans and what he comes out with at the end is probably going to be a lot better. Uh, Than me and my unfinished manuscripts, you know. But that's but that's not a point against the beach sheet or save the cat. It's it's more of like his maturity level in cooking. I guess. W- do you see it that way as well?
1: Yeah, I do, and I think that there's a difference between breaking the rules because you don't know the rules and breaking the rules purposely because you want to experiment with story. The way that you're explaining, w- the way I describe it was similar. I describe it as baking, like baking, and I say, you know, when I tell people like. Because a lot of people ask me, like, well, do you have to do it this way? Right. Like, well, no. But at the same time, like, you know, if you set out to write to make a cake, let's say, and you put in, you know, there's certain ingredients you need to be able to call it a cake. Like you need sugar and flour and eggs and water. And when you start taking those ingredients out, it stops being a cake and it starts being bread or cookie or a cracker. Um, so in order to actually make a cake, there are certain things that you need. And that's what you you, use. There's certain things you need to tell a story, what you do with those ingredients. Like you, like you said, like, you know, the kind of things you put together, like Stephen King, maybe putting things on his cake that were like, that will never work. Who would want like a, you know, olive pickle, chocolate, peanut butter cake. (laughs) But the way that he does it, you're like, actually, this is very tasty. <laughs> right. This is a very enjoyable cake. So I think it's a matter of how you are, you know, you kind of need to learn the basics, and then you can start getting really fancy with it and trying all these new things. But in at the heart of it, the structure is, is still a cake.
0: I'm curious. So one way that I'd like to encourage listeners, like I'm going to try to get as many people to buy, so readers and non-readers. And one of the reasons that I thought would be really helpful is there's a sort of like with storytelling... Um, and, and I'd be curious to, to hear what you think, um, if this is right or not, but there seems to be a level of wisdom that comes with like the sight, I suppose. Like, so if, when you stop working on a manuscript and you go back to your normal life, there's a level of like life is happening in real time and, you know, the wisest characters in books, you know, are able to be able to like get a view of the plot, I suppose, and they can like encourage or advise the main character to the best of their ability. Does is it if that makes sense? And I've found like the better reader that I have become. Um, and I'm not, I'm still not great, but the the better that I get, I find that it actually like translates to real life to some degree. That that you can be a helpful person to those around you, and it and it's because like you've been spending time in other worlds, and, and you're hopefully you're developing that kind of sight or wisdom. Has that been the case for you at all, or do you think of, of it in that way?
1: And that's really interesting. And yeah, I have thought about that. Um, Cause I tell, I tell my students, you know, when you're a writer and you're creating these characters, you're also creating their flaws right. and you're, you're navigating them down a path to better themselves, to improve their lives, which is, you know, what we call a transformational arc or a character arc. And in order to do that, you really have to understand people. Yeah. And you have to understand what makes them tick, why they're flawed, what kind of wounds in their past have led them to become who they are today. Because even though you start on page one, that character has existed for their whole life. So there's more to that character than just what you're seeing on page one. So there's you know all these depths. So you really have to dig deep, which forces you to think about people in a new way. And that may touch upon your own flaws that may touch upon, you might be pulling from flaws or problems that you see in your best friend's life or your family's life. And just having to think about human beings from that perspective, I think, automatically starts to give you different views on human beings in real life.
0: Absolutely. And
1: perhaps makes you a, you know, I I say to my writers and like, you are basically, you have to play psychiatrist to your characters. Because not only do you have to diagnose what's wrong with them, you have to fix it. Um, Or in some way, improve upon it, maybe not fix it completely. But you have to speak to it. Um, and you know, any story worth its salt is going to have this internal level to it that this, even if it's, even if you're writing like the most high octane thriller, there's still some level of internal transformation going on in somebody. And whether you kind of spend a hundred pages dealing with it or five, you know, that's what makes a story resonate with people is to have this, this sort of touch of humanity to it. And in order to have that touch of humanity, you kind of need to understand humanity a bit more.
0: Absolutely, and so that that was that was uh, from the jump. That was my re- thought in terms of uh, recommending it to my audience, whether they're writers or they're not. They're, I do think you have a. It's funny. It's almost like a, an Ecclesiastes or Solomonic sort of uh, wisdom here. You, I think, in your intro, you called Blake Snyder's book wise, uh, and that <laughs> Ca- struck me. Uh, yeah, yeah. I call
1: him wise, and his book wise. Yeah, I do.
0: This can be used in all kinds of hacky, uh, sort of ways, or very like Instagrammable quote ways. But uh, you know, I assume, and if uh, it, I can't remember if it was Blake Snyder's book or it was one of the books that we were assigned, and and uh, the the author was sort of saying, you know, unless there's like a sort of internal tension to the scene, unless your character has a want and a desire that and and something that they need that they're going after and that and that's providing tension to the scene. Like, it's just not interesting. And I had this like horrifying thought uh, that my current life didn't have tension, to, you know, that I was like, am I like, oh no, am I living a boring life? Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I it think was, fiction
1: like, is much more interesting than real life though. <laughs> it was so
0: oddly edifying though, in terms of like, oh, okay. Like I actually need, you know, that was like a good insight about my own life uh, and I need to like tune it up. But anyway, Jessica, thank you so much for coming on. I've really appreciated your time and you've been super helpful. I've loved your book so far. I hope everyone goes and gets it, whether you're a writer or not. I think it has things to offer you. It has wisdom to offer you. It helps you see, helps, and hopefully you can translate that to your real life. Can you see the characters around you and help them? And Jessica, could you, uh, where would you want folks, if they want to know more, if they want to possibly look into classes, where should we send them?
1: Yeah. Well, and thanks for having me. This has been really great. Jessica Brody.com is my website and, uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Jessica Brody as well. Um, so you can find me there and hope you enjoy the book.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jessica.
1: Thanks.